Hey there, Fat Guy Forum fans. This is Gourmet with a quick note before we get the episode started. I have something exciting to tell you about. We have launched the Fat Guy Forum Patreon. That's right. You can now become a monthly supporter of the show for just a few dollars, less than a cup of coffee a month. You can support keeping these amazing dude stories coming to you. And there's even a bonus at one of the tiers that I think is going to be very exciting. I have some great ideas to come to as we develop this, but I wanted to get it launched and in your hands. So if you enjoy what you hear on this show and you want to help me to keep it coming to you, please go over to that link in the show notes, and that is patreon.com slash keto. Thank you so much, my friends, and on to the show. Hey there, everybody, and welcome back to the Fat Guy Forum. I know we took a little bit of a break, but things are up and rolling, and I am just excited. This guest that I have on today, he's someone that we, we tried to have a recording a couple weeks ago and ran into some issues technologically on my end, and it seems like everything's all straightened out now, so I'm just really excited to introduce you to Ryan Aviles. Ryan has an epic story that we're gonna we're gonna dive right into. So Ryan, how you doing today? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm just glad we're getting to talk finally, man. So let's you know, let's let, let's make this happen, okay? Absolutely. I'm happy to be here. And that first question I'm gonna ask you, people are probably like, oh, he's been away for a while. Have things changed? This has not changed at all. It, mm-hmm. It's time for the first question. Tell us, Ryan. What qualifies you to be on the Fat Guy Forum? Um, I would say my entire life of suffering from morbid obesity and not doing anything about it, even after numerous wake-up calls. Um, and I'm sure a lot of people that have been on their journeys, um, I'm sure wake-up calls are something that happened anytime you went to the doctor or something that you just experienced in life. And it just wasn't enough to not do anything about it because it starts from all the way deep down. You know what I mean? Um, but ever since I was a kid, I was always overweight. It, it's just something that I've endured my entire life. You know, growing up as a child in Brooklyn, New York, my whole family was always overweight. And it's been something that I don't want to say that's, how do I put this? I don't want to say that that's been the whole cause, like my whole family has, because they were overweight, I had to be overweight. It just, I learned bad habits, you know, and unfortunately, it got me to my heaviest weight, which was 574 pounds at one point. And that was around, my heaviest was around 2008, because there's pictures from my cousin's wedding, and that was definitely the peak of my my highest weight, which was, yeah, 574 pounds. Those were, that was my toughest time. So Ryan, it's interesting that, that you hit your heaviest weight in 2008 because that's also when I hit my heaviest weight. You know, I was in the, you know, I was not 574, I was 540, but um, it's, it's good to know that we were kind of in that, in, in company together at that time. And getting to 574 pounds is, is obviously not something that happens overnight. You know, you were starting to talk about life, you know, growing up bigger, like what? And learning those habits and picking up those those bad eating habits, like, what do you think? Like, take us into what what life was like to bring you to five hundred and seventy four pounds. Okay, so what happened was I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. Um, I was an only child. Uh, 
my mom and my aunt and my grandmother had raised me. My whole family had lived in an apartment building altogether. So we were on the 11th floor. Uh, my aunt was on the 6th and my cousins lived on the 15th and I had actually cousins on the 12th as well. So we were all one giant family in one apartment building. Um, but yeah, I, I grew up and I had a great childhood. Um, when I explain this, people are like, oh, so where did it go wrong? The only thing in my childhood that didn't really like, it really didn't make sense to me until I got older was the fact that my father wasn't around. Um, and it's hard to grow up without a dad because I was raised by women. So, you know, those aspects of a man stepping into a child's life and being there for them, it wasn't there for me. So even in school, I was always the biggest kid. And for show and tell, there were kids that would bring up their fathers and my dad was nowhere to be found. And I didn't know about my dad. My mom had kept the story about my dad from me until I was around nine years old. So all those years of not knowing, you know, knowing that I had a mom, but didn't really know about my dad was really frustrating for me. And being chubby at the same time, I guess, overeating because of the emotions that I was going through. And again, bad habits with my family, because my whole family's overweight. It just, it put me into a dark depression at an early age. And I didn't even realize it until as an adult, I went to therapy and I thought about everything. Um, but living wise, like living at home with them, I had a, a decent childhood. I had all these video games. I had all the toys you could think of, um, went to the circuses. I, you know, I went to different events and like, I, I was a happy kid, but I was just missing a father. And that's something that even till this day, because my dad is not really in my life. I would say he was, he's kind of like an, uh, an acquaintance at that point and on Facebook and Sometimes I think about it and it does put a strain because, again, I'm 35 years old and my father is really not there, you know, and, and I don't really blame him anymore. It's something that I had to come to peace with. But I would say that's one of the main major reasons as to why I got to my heaviest at that point. Um, but even as a kid, I got bullied in school because of my weight. Uh, I was always the biggest, I was always the tallest, and I was always the slowest because of my weight. Um, doing like the racing where you you hand off the baton and you like, I, I was always the slowest and I always got beaten up for it until I started fighting back and my mom was at school every week because I would be beating up on a kid because I was getting picked on. And it started to get out of hand when I was around seven or eight years old where I would get chased home from school because again, I was the only child so I was spoiled. But I had like name brand clothes and shoes and because I was the fat kid in class, I would get chased home from school and I got my shoes stolen from me. So um, I've had, after I've gotten beaten up for my shoes, I've had gotten beaten up where a kid took my shirt off and embarrassed me in front of the entire schoolyard uh, in front of a girl that I had a crush on. Those things are really like, those things can really set bad places in a kid's mind to go like really really dark you know what i mean oh, i don't yeah. know if you've ever experienced anything like that gourmet yeah no i was uh, bullying was a, a big part of my life growing up and it was all size it was all about my size and my weight you know especially you know you and i were, were talking before we started recording to talk about you know you're 35 i'm 47 i like i like mm -hmm. I, I was calling myself an old man and you were being very polite um but 
back when I, when I was growing up, there were no other big kids. Like now you look at schools and you see, you know, it's, it's almost like the norm to see kids being significantly overweight. But back, you know, in the late 70s, early 80s, it was very rare to see someone my size in the, in the school. So it was like an immediate target put on my back. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, same thing for me. I mean, at the age of six or seven, I had to weigh, I would say about 130 pounds, 140 pounds. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's huge for a seven year old, a seven year old shouldn't be 140 pounds. So and I was tall. I was I was really, really tall. I, I think at the age of seven, you know, I just I stood out. You know, even in like my class pictures, I stood out. I was always the biggest. They always had, when they did the class picture, I was the one that was standing in the middle, in the back, not even on the chair because I didn't need to. Mm -hmm. So always with the size, it, you know, and then it just, it comes with other things like, you know, oh, when you do go to gym or if you're going to play in field day, you know, everyone's going to wear jerseys or everyone's going to wear a shirt, but we don't have a shirt for you because, you know, you're really overweight and we only got the kid sizes. You know, at seven years old, I was wearing i think an uh, an extra large in men's or maybe a 2x at, at times so it, it's kind of hard and kids can be very very cruel I'll, I'll never forget there was one time where i went to a beach with my with my school because at those times you know trips were a lot different i don't know if the kids go to school you know kids go to school nowadays or before covid and they went to like a beach for a trip but i went to the beach with my class and uh i wouldn't take my shirt off and all the boys started laughing at me and saying, you know, just really cruel things like, oh, you have boobs, you have this. And, and I just I just sat there and I would get angry. And then if they decided to like push me or anything, that's where the fighting would start. So I just, I wanted at that point to be left alone. And I was happiest when I was at home with like my cousins and my family because that's where the comfort zone kicks in. You know what I mean? Uh, it's not like... I, I didn't have many friends. I had three friends in elementary school. It wasn't like I was, you know, so popular. The hardest thing for me is when I, you know, after all the show and tells and all the Christmases, I'm not ever knowing about my dad or not having really anything really to do with my dad. My dad was in prison um, up until I was 10 years old. So at the age of nine years old, my mom had told me that my dad was going to be getting out for good behavior. Um, and I was excited. I really was excited. I went to school the next day and I was in a really good mood. I'll never forget this. And, um, this kid tried to get me in trouble and he said something to me about my dad. And I turned around and I was like, why do you have to be that way? And in front of the entire class, he smacked, he smacked me so hard that I just tackled him. And... I had to explain to my mother why that happened when they, when I went home, my father came home. I had to explain in front of my father that I, I met maybe twice that I, I really don't know this man, why I had such an issue in school. And this is where it got worse for me. My dad really didn't seem to care as to why I had so many issues in school. He was more concerned about my weight and Again, you want to talk dark places, it set me back even further. Um, we, the same day that my dad had gotten out, which I was so excited for, and after the whole thing of me explaining to, as to why, you know, I was having these issues in school and he really didn't give a shit, 
we went to a doctor. I went to the doctor because I had some cuts and bruises and stuff from having a, you know, a fight in school. And as soon as I took my shirt off, my father says to my mom right in front of me, what are you doing to him? Like, what is going on? Why is he this size? And I just put my head down and I started to cry and I didn't say anything. And then he comes over to me and he says, you know, you're not supposed to have boobs and women have those. You know that, right? At, at nine and a half, almost 10 years old, what do you say? Mm. Like, what do you say? And he, this is a man that you've waited so long to be around and so long to just like me and be with and just nothing but disappointment at that point. And here's where my mom, and I tell her this all the time, like this is where she was wrong because again, bad habits as a reward to make me feel better. She's like, let's go get some Chinese food. I know you're probably hungry. Let's eat lunch. Meanwhile, I had lunch in school already. We go to have Chinese food. And as soon as I put the first fork in my mouth, he's like, look at, look at the way he's eating. L look at what he's doing to himself. At that point, I didn't even want to speak to this man. I didn't want to know him. Didn't want anything to do with him. I just wanted him to leave and I wanted to get out of there. I wanted to go home. Then he ragged on my mom for me having everything that was name brand, like Nikes, Fila's, everything that was like popular at the time, all the toys, all the video games. And he blamed her for my weight, you know, making me overweight and, and so forth. And that was the last time that I saw my dad. And the last time I, the next time I saw my dad, you're talking, I was 10 years old. I moved out of Brooklyn, moved to Long Island. And I saw my dad when I was 17. That was the next time I saw my dad. And at that point, I had gotten a lot heavier because I was in my senior year of high school and I was pushing 400 pounds. Well, so I, no, I, I think it makes sense. Like I, I think that when those things happen to us at that age, like it just sets up patterns. Like you see sometimes the story of someone who's like, I was bullied as a kid and all of a sudden, you know, I got, I got thin and athletic and joined a sports team and like everything went great. But I, I think the more common story is, having the, those emotional moments, you know, especially from family and from someone that you had waited all that time, you know, to connect with and to feel that rejection. Like, I think for a lot of us, it, it drives us further into, you know, the eating and the food and, and almost like losing sight of what even the issue could be. Oh, without a doubt. Um, it definitely increased the, the appetite to eat to just like, you know, pure destruction. Um, and now that I think about it more, again, because when you're a kid growing up, like you don't think about these things. And when you don't have anybody that's, you know, around you friendship wise or family wise that doesn't know about nutrition or health or anything, you, you just go down. It's, it's a downward spiral at that point. Uh, you know, my in high school, I was eating two lunches, three lunches a day. And the, the cafeteria ladies, because I was a fat kid they, and they loved me, which they were really, really nice, but they didn't realize either that they were doing the wrong thing. You know, back then, you know, a kid was allowed, as long as they had money, you can buy an extra lunch if you needed to, or you wanted to, you know, if, especially like certain meals that were triggers for me, like I love chicken nuggets. They would do chicken nuggets with white rice and corn. And I would eat, I would buy two or three extra meals and nobody saw an issue with that or not even i used to walk into my classrooms my teachers wouldn't say anything like i would have three lunches and nobody would say anything to me it to me i find it mind-boggling actually now that more than like i said now that i think about it no one said uh, anything to me if that was today i'm sure a teacher would pull the kid to the side and say hey is is everything okay like why are you eating three lunches 
but it, it i guess it also gets iffy too because you don't want to insult somebody either but i don't know that's just me if i saw a kid eating three lunches i'd be like dude what is going on why why is this kid obviously he's not starving i wasn't starving because i was 400 pounds you know and if i thought I mean, if you thought that I was a big kid back then when I was in elementary school and middle school, I definitely stood out in my high school years because, again, I was the biggest kid there, too. There were some heavy kids in my, in my class, but nowhere near the weight that I was. And my senior year, I actually started late because the summer right before my senior year started, I had gotten sick. Um, my whole family went to Adventureland, which is a theme park out here in Long Island, um, and it was really, really hot, and I was pushing, like I said, 400 pounds. And there's like a um, kind of like a hill in the middle of the of the park that you have to walk down or walk up. And we were walking up, and it being 90 degrees, and me being the weight that I was, I actually passed out in the middle of the park. And you know, my family was there; they actually helped me get up. My mom brought me water and stuff. And literally the next day, she was like, "We're going to the doctor." So we went to the doctor the next day, and. They had discovered that I had developed arrhythmia, which I don't know. Do you know what arrhythmia is? Uh, I definitely do. Okay, so I developed that, and the cardiologist said to me, you have two options. You can go to the hospital, that way we can admit you now, or uh, if you go home and you, do, and you decide to do nothing about this, you're going to be in big trouble. So my mom was like, oh, no, we're going to the emergency room. So we went to the emergency room, I got admitted, and they had me on a very strict diet, and I was starting to lose some weight, but at that point, when I got on the scale, they couldn't even weigh me in a re on a regular scale. They had to weigh me on those big beds, like those, I don't even know if back then they had to, like a bariatric bed, I I'm not too sure, but it was this huge bed because I couldn't fit on a regular bed. And that was embarrassing because I'm 17 years old and I'm in a pediatric wing because at 17, you're still considered a minor. So I'm sitting in the pediatric wing in this gigantic bed that had a scale on it and that was the first time that I actually got embarrassed because I couldn't step on a regular scale and though that was the time also that I started to notice like I'm gonna be in trouble because before I got admitted before the hospital and all that stuff I remember two months prior to that I had weighed 315 pounds and the doctor said we're gonna get, you know you're gonna be in some trouble here if you keep going and I just didn't care I went about my summer and from the time that I went to that doctor all throughout the summer which was not even almost actually about two months ago two months later I weighed 300 and it was like 380 pounds so that means I gained a significant amount of weight in like two months that's because staying up late playing video games not caring what I was eating and just not moving and sleeping a lot not doing anything and I just had that weight gain but in the hospital, they weighed me. They told me what they were going to do. Try to, you know, I had to be there for three weeks, which was horrible. And they had to do this little procedure where they knocked me out. Um, basically, jumpstart my heart at that point. But there were some episodes in that hospital for sure. Uh, there was a kid that had gotten electrocuted and I had to share the room with him. And he wasn't on a diet, but I was. And because I had rented the Nintendo 64... At the time, I was. They had this like little video game center that I rented it from. I'm sitting there playing the games. It was like 12:30 at night. For dinner, I had like baked chicken with some like Brussels sprouts and like really healthy stuff and like skim milk and a bottle of water. And this kid's getting a donut, a strawberry frosted donut, 
pizza. He's getting some Oreos and some applesauce, and he's getting like a Gatorade or whatever they gave him or a chocolate milk. And the kid didn't touch it. So he asked me, hey, can we? Can I play the Nintendo 64? And I said, sure. And I said, but it's going to cost you. And he was like, if you want my food, you can take it. So we tried to do a swap, and I got caught by the nurse. You want to talk embarrassing? Because the nurse was hot. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, she, she came in. She told my mom, and they had to move me out of that room with that kid because I was bribing the kid. And he was only like, I was 17 going on 18. He was probably around 11, 12 years old. So I just didn't really care. I didn't care what was going on. I just wanted the food. They, I got in trouble the next day too because it happened again where the same thing with an, another patient. The patient had a donut and I stole the patient's donut. And when it came time for my sponge bath, the donut was stuck to my back. You're talking like really embarrassing things. And these are all just really, really bad habits of just picking up as I went along and just... It got worse. It got worse. I don't know if you ever could you relate to any of that, Mike? Like we're doing any of that stuff? Oh, I, I think so. Like, like I, I look at like the moments in my life, like you know, especially for me, like for me, it was like sneak eating and hiding what I was eating, you know, and mm -hmm. and, and and that became the game that I played, you know, after the first diet I was put on when I was ten or eleven. Uh, well, I was ten when I was put on the diet, so this was kind of like 11, 12 range where it really just started to ramp up for me. And, you know, it, it started to become like, how much could I eat when I was out of the house? How much could I eat in the house without people noticing? And, you know, one of the things I don't, I don't know why, like this is something I did in high school was like every day I was buying the same food on my walk home. Like I'd stop at the convenience store and get the same candy, the same chips, the same soda, all of that. And I'd finish some of it before I got home, but some of it I would sneak in in my book bag. And I had a gym bag with a false bottom. You know, I don't know why this gym mm. bag had a false bottom. I think it was somewhere you could just store stuff. And, but it was kind of hard to see. So I would unzip that and put my candy wrappers there. And then like once a week, I would empty the bag out when I had the bag out of the house with me. Cause I didn't want, you know, my mom or my sister to see any of, any of that in the garbage. And there, I came home one day and this was when I was around 16 and around 350 pounds. And my gym bag was on the kitchen table and like probably, you know how kids can be nasty. Like I, I probably had like a week and a half worth of king size Reese's peanut butter cup packets, the the wrappers in that bag mm -hmm. at that point. And they were spread out all over the table. And my parents were there. My parents were divorced at this point, but my mom had my dad there. And they were like, and the funny, the part I laugh at now is like, they thought I had eaten all of that in like a day. Like I'd wow. eaten like 15 packages of Reese's cups in a day. And so immediately, of course, I'm like, well, no, this is over time, you know, and I just didn't want to throw them away. Like, you know, you're trying to make every excuse that you can. And, mm -hmm. but it's like that moment of getting caught doing what you're, what you thought you were hiding from everyone and you're tricking everyone. But obviously, you know, 350 pounds at 16, I'm not hiding anything from anyone. You know, it's clear that, oh. you know, <laughs> you, it's one of the, I, I was talking with someone the other day about this, like, especially when you're. When you're lost in food like that, it, it's it's a thing, it's a, it's a challenge, it's an addiction that you can't hide. You know, you can't kind of sober up for people to pay attention to you because you can't you can't hide that extra two hundred pounds. Like there's no way to kind of like just tape it down and hope that no one notices it's there. There's a there's a quote um, that I saw a long long time ago and it really stuck with me. What you eat in hiding is what you wear in public.
And that can't be that that's got to be like the most perfect quote that I could think of when it relates to this, because it's true. And I've hid food too. Um, you know, I actually told my girlfriend this uh, yesterday. There were times where, you know, I, when I was married, my mom would invite me over for dinner and I, and I didn't know why, but I knew where I was going to have dinner and eat. And I would stop at a drive through about 45 minutes before, mm -hmm. eat whatever I could, throw like throw all the food, like the wrappers away, discard everything. So that way it didn't, I didn't look like I was, you know, being a, a certain way. And then I would go and, and I would eat again at my mom's house and have like a huge plate of food. I mean, these are the things that I never, now, like I think about this stuff now, mm -hmm. but I never, ever thought about it before. Like I never, and I think a part of it is really denial too, because you don't ever want to think that you're that type of person or you're that, you're that way. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. It's hard to come with the, to the realization of these are the things that we go through. And what makes all that happen is like, again, what I said at the beginning is something that's deep down because it's all deep rooted, dude. There's no, I don't care if you're 300 pounds, if you're 280 pounds, 400 pounds, 500 pounds, it's deep rooted. There's some type of depression there. There's something there that's making us carry this much weight because oh, it, it's, it's all emotion. Oh, and it, it's something where like, I like to say like there, a lot of us, you know, especially when, when you look at someone who got over 400, over 500 pounds, like a lot of, we end up in the same place, but mm -hmm. the roads we take to get there can vary. And I, I think at the root though, there's either this development Something causes, because I've talked to guys that were 500 pounds that say, you know, I don't really identify that I have a food addiction. Like it was just more, I built those habits and built those habits and it was enabled by my, my family and my friends and my life. And, you know, it just became my normal. And, and I think, you know, something that goes to what you're saying is we, we, we build those habits and behaviors as our normal, whether we identify it as an addiction or not, or identify it as a trauma or not. But like you said, it becomes this thing that you can overlook because I, I think it becomes normal because we don't want it to be abnormal because if it's abnormal, it's something we have to try to face and change. But at that, you know, at, at a certain point, it becomes this driving force in our lives. Like it's the coping mechanism. It's the emotional support. It's pleasure. It's enjoyment. It's entertainment. You know, whatever the reasoning is, we don't want it to stop. You know, whether we're saying that out loud like yelling at someone who's trying to, you know, wrestle a pizza from your hands, or if it's more just you're over, like you said, like overlooking that drive through trip before you stop to have dinner with someone like that, that was my normal. Mm -hmm. Like my normal was always thinking about, okay, I'm going, you know, driving to this person's house for dinner. It's a 30 minute drive. Where can I hit right away and have it all done by the time I get there? And yeah, that was just the thing. Like I remember, I, I feel like I, I've shared this story recently, you know, to some people like, and I've, I know I've shared it on the podcast before. Like I remember very clearly a night, the family, my family was having dinner, was having like a big dinner. And now when I was at my heaviest, like I would eat a lot in front of other people, but I, I also did most of my eating alone. So I knew I wasn't going to order three entrees, you know, at a restaurant with my family, but that's the amount of food it would take for me to not be feeling like I was going to die from hunger. So I, I hit a McDonald's drive through and Big Macs were two for $3. So I got eight Big Macs and I ate eight Big Macs driving to dinner with my family. And then I sat no. down 
and I had an appetizer, an entree, and a dessert with them. And it, it's like the things, and but at, when I did it, there was no batting an eye about it. Like it was almost like a giddy game. Mm-hmm. Like I almost saw it as, am I going to be able to eat all these Big Macs before I get there? Like, can I handle this challenge? Is this something I can do? And that was my normal. You know, that was the way that I lived my life. Yeah, I, I definitely can relate. Um, I now here's I know this is going to sound very strange, but even at my heaviest, I had other habits, as I just explained the whole thing with going through a drive through before going to eat somewhere else, which is a lot of food. Um, but there were also times where I wouldn't be able to put down a lot of food and it would just be the type of food that I ate. And then what I did right after, and which would be literally sitting on the couch, probably playing a video game or doing whatever, I would just sit down and not move. Um, and my cousins, again, my whole family's overweight. They would like out eat me under the table, dude. Like they, they would put away four, five, six slices of pizza. And there I am. I only had, I'm the biggest, I'm the heaviest in the family. And I'm only eating three slices of pizza. Granted, I probably had one or two, you know, cups of Coke with it, but I didn't, it wasn't to what they were eating, but again, I just did not move. But later on in life, what you just said is like, oh, it's a challenge. Yeah, that that started to happen later on, not anywhere near like my teenage years going into my adult years. That wasn't that wasn't what was happening back then. Um, to go what I was saying back from before in the hospital with my dad and everything, uh, after I had the procedure done for the arrhythmia and everything, my mom had called my dad. My dad came back. And um, again, I haven't seen him. I still last time I saw him was like almost 10 years old. So now I'm 17 years old. He comes up. And he sees me and I'm growing a beard now because I'm becoming a man. And uh, I stood up and I was a lot taller than he was. And he said, well, the first thing he said was, oh, wow, you're a man. And I said, yeah. And I wasn't really too thrilled to see him. I was kind of mad at my mom for calling him up there because I didn't want to go through one of those episodes again. I didn't have the strength. And um, everything was okay. You know, I got out of the hospital. Uh, I had lost a significant amount of weight. When I, like I said before, when I got weighed at the hospital for the arrhythmia, I weighed about 380 pounds. When I left the hospital, I was about 310 pounds. They were feeding me. I don't know if they were like fat burners. All I remember are these big fat blue pills that they kept giving me every single day. I don't know what they were, but I was losing a significant amount of weight and fast. Um, But I weighed about 310 pounds coming out. This was right before my senior year started. We went out to dinner with my dad. Everything was good. He apologized for a lot of things that he said, and I got a lot of things off my chest, and then that was that. When I started my senior year of high school, I noticed even at 310 pounds, I was still having some issues, and it started where I went for my senior picture, and I had, you know, they give you the tuxedo and, you know, the bow tie and and so forth, and... The photographer says to me, so in order to take your senior picture, we have to put a tuxedo on you, just the top half, but I don't have anything that's going to fit you. And I just looked and now there's a line of, you know, other males that are going to take their, their high school picture. And I was just like, you got to be kidding me. Like, seriously? So everyone started to snicker and they're laughing and everything. And I said to him, listen, I don't mind this. I, I'd like to get these pictures done. My family paid for them. I just, can we just get this done? So what they did was they brought two shirts. 
I had to put one on each arm and then he brought two jackets and put one on each arm. That way I had a whole tuxedo on and I had to sit a certain way so they can get the correct shot. And if you see these pictures, you can definitely tell, like, even though I'm smiling, I'm bothered and I'm embarrassed. And again, I just wanted to cry and go home. But instead, I slipped myself into the denial. I pushed forward and acted like the fat, happy kid that I always did. I, I always was. I just went about my day. And, and Ryan, and, that raises a question for me, like, because hearing, you know, about the hospitalization experience, you know, the, the arrhythmia and, mm-hmm. you know, what you those moments you face there and then going through this. And because one of the things you said early on when we started recording was talking about and I know we haven't even really gotten to where you're at your heaviest yet. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm just wondering if at this point, do you do you have any insight into why you think these things happening didn't affect your behavior or had the effect on your behavior that they did? Um, yeah, if I, you know, it's funny as my, my girlfriend asked me this, uh, the other day, the reason why it didn't have any effect on me is because I didn't care about myself. I didn't care. I just didn't care if it went away quickly, then I can just continue on with my life and everything will be fine because even as overweight as I was, life was okay at home. Like I, again, I didn't have a bad home life. It was just a bad habits of food and everything, but I didn't care enough to be like, you know what? Maybe I should stop overeating. Maybe I shouldn't eat the Oreos. Maybe I shouldn't have, you know, so many slices of pizza. I just didn't care. Those, to me, those moments of, you know, someone bringing over two jackets to me and having to put them on in front of, you know, half the guys in my, in my high school. To me, it was, oh, it's only a small part of my day. It'll get through it. You know, it'll pass. And then I just go on my life. I didn't care. I, I, and that's the truth. I just didn't give two shits whether or not. It, you know, this is something that's going to ruin my life or it's just something for the now. And I, I chose to, eh, it's just going to be for now. I'll deal with it later. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And so, you know, kind of coming out of high school, like obviously your weight continued to grow. Like what, take us through kind of like what, you know, going from high school to, to 574 pounds a few years later. So after high school, uh, I was working at, I don't know if you, I don't know. I don't know if they Pathmark was like a whole big thing, but like I worked at a, a supermarket called Pathmark and again, when it comes time to like, you know, try to take care of yourself and be an adult again, I wasn't doing that. I would go to work and I would buy all the wrong foods at work. I would eat candy. Um, I would go to the deli counter and because my cousin worked in the deli, I would get food that was super, super cheap. I would eat these huge sandwiches of like chicken salad that was filled with mayo on these club rolls and the whole thing. I mean, <laughs> This thing looked like a giant football and I would eat the whole thing and I would wash it down with like two Gatorades and not the small Gatorades, two 32 ounce fruit punch Gatorades and just wasn't the healthiest thing. And then after the two Gatorades, I would have more candy, I would have more soda and just keep going on and on and on. And that was every day for like three or four years. Um, then I noticed that, you know, my relationships with my ex-girlfriends, they weren't going too well. And my family, everything happening at home, you know, my aunts all losing their jobs and my mom just not really being there emotionally. Same thing for everybody else. Like no one else was there for you. Everybody was codependent on each other, but couldn't be there emotionally for each other, if that makes sense. They, we all needed each other and it was just a bad dynamic at that point. 
and my weight just increased more and more. And then once um, my aunt had my basement renovated, it made it worse because all the boys in my family, there was a lot of us living in the house when we moved to Long Island, by the way, there was about 16 of us. But all my all the boy cousins, there was four of us, we all went down into the basement. We all got our own rooms. And once that happened, it was a giant shit show because now the eating really got out of hand. I would sneak food in. I would have food ordered and I would just eat Chinese food, pizza, Burger King, Taco Bell, anything that I could get my hands on. And I would just play video games. And when my girlfriends would come over, it would be the same thing. I would eat, 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 eat. And... The reason why, <laughs> I can't believe I'm going to admit this now, but what put more depression on me was the fact that as heavy as I was and I had a girlfriend, most of my relationships didn't work because sexual activity was an issue for me at, at times. And I couldn't either perform or sex just wasn't possible. Mm. So there goes more eating. It's, it's another excuse. It's another downfall for me to sit there and be like, yeah, you know what? She broke up with me. I'm really, really upset. Let's order another lunch special or maybe two lunch specials with some soup and some wontons. And like, it, it, it just, it got out of hand. And once 2008 rolled in, uh, my cousin was getting married and me and him are very, very close. I had, he had asked me to be his best man. And I, I didn't have a good job at the time. I was working as a bus matron and uh, was making like 200 bucks a week. And I had to pay my share of rent with that money and get my food and, you know, basically, you know, feed my addiction at that point. And he asked me to be his best man. And he, you know, for the wedding party, it was me and my cousins. We all had to match. And me being 574 pounds, we couldn't find a tuxedo for me anywhere. Anywhere. You know, they didn't have DXLs like they did now, but they had something called, uh, I think, casual mail that was around, and they didn't even have anything for me. We found a shop, a local big and tall shop that was like a little hole in the wall, and same thing. I When this happened, I actually felt like I was reliving my high school days. Um, we had to get this, like, transparent silver vest because that's what the boys were going to be wearing, in, you know, in the wedding party, and uh, <laughs> the guy says to me, I don't have a vest that's going to fit you. So there it was. I was like, oh, here we go. And he took two vests, took the back off of one, sewed it in half, made it, you know, extended it more. And then came the pants. I was a size 66 in pants. And he said to me, listen, uh, pants, I'm going to have to special order these. And then he went on the web, wherever he was ordering from, he comes back like 10 minutes later and says, listen, they don't even have that size. Um, let me see what I can do. He comes back about, 20 minutes later and says to, as we're sitting there, my cousin's like, I don't know what we're going to do. And the guy says to me, what I can do is I can take two pairs of pants and stitch them around and make them open. So if you're bending down, you know, the hem in the stitching doesn't pop out. And you would think that the embarrassment would set in. Nope. I was like, Oh, okay. Okay. And my cousin at that point, my cousin was like, listen, I'm paying for the whole thing anyway. I don't care. I just want you as my best man. I just want you there, which I'm very appreciative till this day of because without him, I wouldn't have been part of the wedding. And I just, I, I couldn't afford that, that tuxedo. And I don't, I, you know, I got to ask him, I don't know how much it was, but I know it was stupid expensive. And 
now that I think about it, it's just, I'm, I'm really, really, <laughs> all I could say is I apologize for that because that's, at that point in my life, I was at the lowest, you know, I didn't get, I didn't care about the, my size or I really didn't even care about life at that point. I knew at that point after the wedding was said and done, um, and looking at the wedding pictures, I actually sometimes would go to sleep at night and wonder if I was going to wake up the next day. And sometimes not that I was suicidal, but there were sometimes where if something happened, you know, and I had a bad day or, you know, lymphedema started to set in and my legs were like brown from the stasis dermatitis and they were starting to scale up really bad. I sometimes would just, I felt like I'd rather, I'd rather not be here than to deal with the way life was and, and what it was going to be for me, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, and I, when I, when I tell people that a lot of people are like, wait, so did you want to die? No, I didn't want to die. But if it was going to happen, it, it, it was what it was at that point. I think that makes total sense, man. Like the way I describe it was when I was living that life, it wasn't that I wanted to die, but I also didn't really care about living. You know, so it wasn't like I was chasing death, but I also wasn't really chasing life. Like, it's like you're in this in-between place where what's going to happen is what's going to happen. And, and sometimes that idea of relief was something that just felt, you know, from the pain you were dealing with, you know, emotional or physical, you know, mm -hmm. you can see that, that that starts to come into play. And so what 574, 2008, you, mm -hmm. you did make some changes, you know, you, 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 you started to do, you know, what's I'm I'm losing my words, man. You know, I don't know what's going on with me. <laughs> Apparently, I have no vocabulary today. But <laughs> five five seventy four was your highest. You obviously mm -hmm. you didn't keep gaining weight there. You actually, you know, made some significant changes eventually. Like what what led to to, to that happening? Well, the good thing about this was that two thousand in two thousand eight, at my highest of five seventy four, uh, for the next let's see, not I'm not going mad nine, ten, eleven. So the next four years. Um, up until 2012, I didn't gain any more weight. Mm. I just, I stayed the same. And I know that people are like, how the hell did you stay the same for four years straight? I didn't gain and I didn't lose. I pretty much maintained because I was just eating what I was eating every single day. And luckily it didn't make me gain. But in 2012 was when I met my ex-wife and my ex-wife, she was heavy too. She wanted to lose weight and I know this is going to sound really, really shitty, um, but in order for me to be with her, she wanted for me to try to lose some weight. And long story short, we tried a few things. Um, she had me on Weight Watchers for about six months, and I lost about a good 65 to 70 pounds off of that. Um, and I had told her that I wanted to do weight loss surgery. And I said to her, you know, I've seen all these stories on TV and you know, I really do think that that's going to help me out. She was right because she said to me, in order for you to have surgery, you have to have a right mindset. And I said to her, yeah, yeah, just basically whatever, just to shut her up. I just wanted to get the surgery done. Fast forward for about another year or so. She got the surgery first. She actually went through with the gastric sleeve surgery. And then two months later, I actually had the gastric sleeve surgery done. So in order for me to get the surgery done, when I first started seeing the, the surgeon, uh, I had weighed about, I would say around 500 pounds. 
And he said to me, I still can't do the surgery on you. I need you to lose more weight. And I said, okay. He said, I'm going to give you about a month. You have to get all this stuff done. It goes by insurance. I know people are like, oh, a month. It goes by insurance and what your insurance expects when you want to do a surgery. You have to do the psych eval and go through the cardiologist and all that stuff. But I got it all done because I set my appointments in a row, like, you know, and just tried to get it done as quick as I could. But he, I, he, I asked him, I said, what do you want my weight to be before, you know, we do this? And he said, I want you to be around 448 pounds. And I was like, that's a really like odd number, but oh, okay, whatever. So fast forward to everything. I had to do the liquid diet, go through the psych eval, And I basically bullshitted my way through the psych eval because I basically said whatever she wanted to hear just so I can get the surgery and I can pass and get cleared. Um, because the truth is she didn't, I wasn't in the mind. I wasn't in the right mindset to get the surgery done. Definitely not. I thought it was kind of like a magic pill. Like I was just going to lose weight regardless and not have to put any work into this. And I, boy, was I totally wrong. Um, but the day of my surgery, I was nervous. I did the two week liquid diet and I had some episodes in between them because I would break down and cry because I would smell a grilled cheese and I couldn't have it. Or if, you know, my ex-brother-in-law was eating his candy and I saw it, I would just, I would cry because I couldn't eat it. And that's where the addiction was coming from. Like I was like withdrawing, which was horrible. And when I got there that morning for the day of my surgery, which was in 2014, by the way, um, I got on the scale and I was nervous because I had eaten the day before, which is very, very dangerous. I had had some, a piece of chicken and a little bit of salad because I was, I was starving. Uh, you know, on the liquid diet, you're only allowed to have like bone broth and chicken broth and all the other like sugar-free, fat-free jello or whatever. So I had some chicken and I had some salad. And the reason why they have you do the liquid diet is to shrink your liver because um, everybody has a fatty liver. And when I got on the scale the next day, because right before we went for surgery, they had to weigh me, I weighed 448 pounds on the dot. Like not 448.4, not 448.1, 448 on the dot. And nobody could believe it. I couldn't even believe it. But I had the surgery, didn't have any complications with the surgery, uh, healed very nicely, very different lifestyle. You know, from being able to eat three or four slices of pizza, you know, two Gatorades, a whole pack of Oreos to eating a piece of a hard boiled egg or a spoonful of tuna fish and being full. It was definitely a different world. Um, started to lose weight very, very, very fast. I was dropping about 35 to 40 pounds, I would say about a month. And that's a lot. Each week I was losing about 10 or 11 pounds or so. And I noticed a lot of different things. My body was getting smaller. My chest was getting smaller and I was losing more hair and my hair was just falling out in clumps in the shower. And I started to get really sensitive about that. And anything that I wore, my clothes would just look ridiculous on me. And people didn't understand like, Oh, why don't you just go get some new clothes? Because a whole new wardrobe is expensive. And what am I going to do that for? So I just continued to kick through and even though people, and I'm having this issue now, but even though people would say to me, oh, bro, you look so good. Like, wow, I can't believe it. Anytime I looked in that mirror, Mike, I saw 574 pounds. I never, ever, ever looked in the mirror and saw, oh, like, I can't believe how thin I got. Never. 
Never, ever, ever. There are times where I look at pictures and I'm like, wow, I was thin. But I know that I was thin because I look slightly different now if I, if I take a look at it. But when I looked in the mirror at that time, I didn't see any difference at all. And even though now, um, around 57, 57 pounds down now, I still don't, like my mom sees it. You know, a lot of other people say, wow, you look really good. You know, you're bloated. I don't see it. I don't see, and I know it's because we, I see myself every day, but I don't also feel it either. I still feel like I'm carrying all that weight. And that was the same thing when I had the surgery. And the bad habits didn't go away. So after I had the surgery and I was still losing weight, the day after surgery, I went to my mom's house, I visited, and my aunt was eating Swedish fish. And of course, I had to test the limit. And I ate a Swedish fish. I wanted to see if what they were saying was true. They would tell me, oh, if you had sugar or if, you know, you would eat anything you're not supposed to, you would be in pain. I ate a Swedish fish. I was fine. Three days later, I had a sip of Coke just to see if the bubbles would hurt my stomach. And it all goes back to not caring enough about my body. Because think about it. Realistically, someone who has major surgery, they literally cut me open, rearranged my insides, and sewed me back up. And there I was drinking carbonated soda. Like, what were you, like, what was I thinking? But I just didn't care enough. I, the food addiction was still more, more powerful. And I just didn't, I, I came to it. I was just like, oh, you know, I'm fine. I drank that. It's That's okay. And then I would have some fruit. They would tell me, oh, you can't have fruit for six months. I'm like, in my head, I'm like, why? Why can't I have fruit for six months? Not realizing, but tested it anyway. Had some bananas, had some apples. Just didn't give a shit about myself. Didn't care about my body. And when that happens, because even though as heavy as you are and people do care, you don't care about anybody else. And you know, I didn't care about my family because if I died, I mean, they, they would have been devastated, but I didn't care enough. And if I couldn't care about myself, I definitely wasn't going to care about them. So I just continued to constantly push the limits. And then after everything was said and done, a year had passed. I had gotten down to around 285 pounds. And I think that was the best, in my opinion, that's the best that I ever looked. Um, my marriage started to like go down the toilet because me and my ex-wife started to figure out that we were very different from one another. And not because of the weight change, just character, character wise, like me and her just didn't mesh well and we weren't getting along. And we decided to get a divorce and that put a strain on me. And I was also gaining my weight back at that time because of bad habits. You know, all I would do is go to work all day, eat whatever I could outside, drive through upon drive through upon drive through, come home, smoke weed, eat some more, which was the worst thing I could do because when you when you smoke weed, all it does is numb your insides and you can try to fit as much food as you can. And at that point, you know, fast forward to 2018 going on 19, I already started to gain some of my weight back and I was pushing around when I, the lowest I weighed was 285 with the surgery, I got back up to around 380, 390. And I was smoking weed every single day, eating out every single day. And I was noticing that I could fit more food day in and day out. Oh, I could fit this now. I could fit this now. It just kept getting worse. After I had the, after I, me and her had gotten divorced, I had to move back to my mom's house to try to get back up on my feet. 
And I was really, really scared to do that because one, it's hard to get back on your feet after, you know, you've lived a certain way for so long. But number two, my darkest days were at my mom's house, you know, being in the basement and just being alone all the time and all the snacks and all the food that's around. I was just really, really not looking forward to going back there. But I had to do it. I had no choice. There was otherwise I'd be in the street. So I made a commitment to myself that after I got divorced, you're going to do what's right, right. You're not going to eat anymore. You're not going to smoke anymore. You're not going to do any of this. You're going to get yourself back on track and you're going to lose weight because you didn't get cut open for nothing. I tried going after I got divorced and I left and I moved back to my mom's. I tried going for a revision and the surgeon over here said, no, you failed the, the gastric sleeve. Why would I try to cut you open again? Your body mass index is well over 60. I think it was like 65. He said, and, uh, he said, yeah, no. He said, what I would rather you do instead of doing a converting to a gastric bypass, I'd rather you do a duodenal switch. Have you ever heard of that? I have. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a pretty severe operation. Very, very severe. He basically told me, oh, yeah, you can eat what you want. It's going to go right through you. And I was like, wait, what? Like, so you're telling me he was like, what's your favorite food? I said, Oreos. I love Oreos. I, that was my go-to that and cereal at night, Oreos and fruity pebbles. My go-to, he said, okay, if I would tell you, you could have about six to seven Oreos be fine. You won't gain the weight. It's just going to go right through. You're going to have diarrhea constantly. I'm like, why would I want to live like that? And he was like, well, he's like you. And, and I didn't agree with the surgeon. I really didn't, but he was like, well, the gastric sleeve didn't work. The gastric bypass is definitely not going to work. The only way for you to stop doing what you're doing is to do a duodenal switch. And I was like, yeah, no, absolutely not. So I decided to try to take matters into my own hands. And I started to walk every single morning. I would get up, do what I had to do, go to work, walk around the block, and just try to really eat the right foods. You know, I told my mom at that point, I was like, Ma, you know, you cook dinner every night for everybody and everything. I was like, I'd just rather try to do my own thing. I was doing like a meal plan from a local place over here and, but not knowing what I was doing, dude. Like I, I had no idea, you know, carb intake, protein, fats. I had no idea. And I, I'm still learning as I go along because I do have a nutritionist, but I have, I had no idea what I was doing. All I knew is I was getting up and I was walking and trying to eat the right foods and yeah, I'll lose, I'll lose weight. I, uh, you know, I had a best friend who was really, really, really fit and we would go to the gym constantly, but it's counterproductive when you're going to go to the gym and work out for an hour and a half and then go to the diner or go to a McDonald's drive-thru after. doesn't make sense. So I knew after everything was said and done, I had to get my eating in order and come face to face with the demons that troubled me every single day. And I knew at that point, first thing I needed to do was make peace with my father and everything that happened there. Um, also the fact that most of my family that was there for me my entire life are now gone. All my aunts that moved out here with me that helped raise me, are all they all passed away. So in, in a short time too, you're talking from 2011 all the way till 2015, my, four of my aunts actually and my cousin had all passed away. So everything that I was dealing with, the divorce, the death, you know, my father, all that stuff, 
I had to like face it and make peace with it because if I didn't and I continue not to, it's just going to be another bad downward spiral. And I don't want to live like that anymore. I met Allie online. <laughs> Me and her messaged each other. And uh, we, you know, we fell in love and now we're living together. And uh, about, I would say about almost four months ago, you know, me and her had visited Florida. We went to go stay with her dad and everything for a little bit. And uh, I needed two plane seats. I didn't get on the scale. I would not get on a scale. And I know that I knew that I was, I just knew I'm like, I need two plane seats. And coming back from the trip, I'm sitting on the plane and I said to myself, all right, this is, this can't be anymore. You can't do this. You really can't do this. So I was laying in bed, going down the wormhole Instagram, and I saw my nutritionist who just helped a lot of people. And I, I needed some guidance, man. I, I really did. Because I didn't, again, I didn't know what I was doing. Fast forward, I reached out to him. He, re, you know, he reached back and me and him spoke and I got on the plan with him. And I noticed the first week that I started to do this, I lost some weight. And then it started happening and kept going and kept going. And my girlfriend eventually got on the same thing. She's now under him too. And we have just been doing really, really great. And I just know now all the things that we had mentioned, all the things that we had talked about today in, on this episode makes me realize that for the longest time I used to say, when someone would ask me, well, why do you think you're so overweight? And I would say, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what's bothering me. I, I, I really don't know. I, I, I have no clue. Maybe I just love food. That's bullshit. Because again, like I said before, anybody, anybody who's, anybody who's overweight, there's, it, it's deeper and it's dark rooted. It's, I'm sorry, it's deep rooted and it's just dark. And the, I know, I knew that there was a light at the end of the tunnel. I just didn't know how to get there and to have that right mindset and be positive and to understand what's really going on. And like I said, to step out of the denial and just come face to face with what's really going on. And I know you know all about that because you did it twice. You did it twice. And that says a lot, man. I mean, I, when I heard your story, bro, I couldn't believe that you did that twice because I'll be real with you. I know it's possible, but I don't think that I could. I don't know if I could do that twice. Well, I, I, I one, thank you. But two, I, I think in some ways you, you have, man. Like you, you know, we, in a lot of ways, it, it, it keeps, it's one of those things where it keeps weirding me out, the parallels, you know, between our, you know, our stories on some levels, you know, obviously completely different families and different locations and all of that. But, you know, what, one, when you talked about Fruity Pebbles, I was right with you there for one, uh, Fruity Pebbles was my jam in the, you know, my, my favorite thing in the world. But I, I think it's this idea that like, you know, when you had the surgery, you know, you're, you were physically into that, but not, you know, in the right mindset place. And when I went through my first massive journey, you know, losing over 300 pounds the first time I was chasing the scale and I was chasing what was on my plate, but I was not doing any work at all about what was in my head. You know, I was doing no, no reflection at all on how things needed to change inside of me to, to end up reflecting, creating this massive change on the outside, like allowing that to actually be something that could happen and be sustainable. And I think that's a powerful part of your story, you know, is like that realization that you came to, like, 
the the question I have have for you, Ryan, is because like, well, one one quick question, like what what was the highest weight you then you saw on the scale before you started losing weight this time? Like, where did you get back the, to? The highest weight that I have recently gotten to was four hundred eighty nine pounds, four hundred eighty nine point one to be exact. Uh, up until well, tomorrow's weigh in day for me, but as of right now, I'm gonna say. I weigh 432 pounds. Um, and it's funny because like I was saying before, right before I got, you know, right before I went in for surgery, I weighed 448 pounds. So I'm lighter right now than I was when I first had my, when I went in for surgery, which I'm super happy about oh, because yeah. you know, it, it's, it's work, man, to lose weight. And, and it, it sucks sometimes. It really does. And that's the question, Ryan, because one of the things like you went from, you know, a couple of years ago, you had the surgery. It was a tool. You had the surgeon offering you this other tool, which honestly, you know, any of the reading I've done about it before, you know, the duodenal switch and just hearing what the doctor said to you is terrifying, you know, but it also reflects that exasperation. I think doctors feel, you know, where they're like, I know you're not going to change your behavior. So let's so radically change your insides that you force your behavior to change. Like now you, you, you reach this point, you know, you had these moments, you knew one on the trip and you realized you needed to change. And I love hearing, you know, that idea that you had to make peace with your life before you felt that you could affect change. Cause I think that's really, really important for people. But w what I'm actually, you know, cause I feel like you've said that really well, like you eloquently put that together. What I'm curious about is, so now we know the, these, this amazing amount of weight that you're down these past couple of months, you're doing some really hard work. I see you grinding on Instagram. I know you're putting it in. I know that you're making it happen. What do you think are the biggest habitual changes and mental changes you've made that are enabling you to feel like you're going to be successful this time? Well, for one, it's definitely the, the, the eating habits of knowing. And, and I guess the key word, and I always say this on my stories too, is being mindful um, because before – you know, I would just grab something and just be like, ah, it's not going to, it's going to be fine. Dude, last night I had potato chips and I actually put this on my page. I had potato chips last night because I wanted them and I had them, but I have to, I have to fix my relationship with food because I'm going to be around it for the rest of my life. And we all can't live with just, oh, well, I'm not, I'm not going to have it. I'm just going to stay away from it. If you can do that, hey, I mean, more power to you. Me, I obsess about things. So I... I'm starting to come to the terms with, you know what? It's going to be there. I'm just going to have a little bit of it and, and walk away. At least I know in my brain and everybody's different, dude, everybody's different, but I had some, eh, yeah, I had some chips. Oh, well, it is what it is. And I talked about this with my nutritionist last night and I was honest with him. And that was one of the things that I, me and him had spoken about was, you know, just be honest with me because if you're not honest with me and you're not honest with yourself, you're hurting yourself. You're not hurting anybody else. You're hurting you and you're wasting your time and your money. He's right. So I had my, I, and I counted because I, first thing I did was I, even though I wanted them, um, I turned the chips around and I looked at nutritional facts and 11 chips were 150 calories. And I'm like, shit, <laughs> is this really worth 150 calories? I had them and I was like, yeah, those are delicious. But I knew that if I didn't take a handful, instead of just eating them out of the bag, which is what I started to do. And then I counted, I'm like, all right, four, five, and I'm eating them. And I'm like, you know what? I put my hand in the bag and I counted in my hand and I took the rest that equaled up to 11 and I closed the bag and I put it right back up on the table. 
And I said, yeah, those gotta, I got to get away from those. Those are like that to me, that's one huge habit because like I said, not being mindful and just eating whatever I could and as much as I could, it, it, <laughs> you want to talk detrimental, it, it really, really, really bad. So as far as habits go, that num that's one habit. Number two is having a routine and not breaking that routine of getting up every morning, walking. And there's times where I don't want to. This morning was one of them. Ali said to me, get up, get off your ass, let's go. And I was laying in bed. And like I said, I could have slept like 10 o'clock. But every morning we've been waking up. And there's times where I motivate her. There's times where she motivates me. So she definitely helps me. And again, it, it all goes back to inspiration and motivation. And I know some people are like, oh, well, I hate social media for that. I, you know, I don't want to put myself out there and do that. And that's fine. It's not for everybody. But I will say that the third part for everything would be the, it's the emotional support, whether it be from my nutritionist, whether it be from you, because like I said, I always tell you this, bro, you're a huge inspiration. Um, you know, Alex Poro, uh, Jarb's Journey, uh, there's so many others that are out there that if I need that motivation, it's the one thing that I do is I open up my phone and I go right to your page. I go to their pages and I'm just like, you know what? These guys are grinding. I can do it too. I mean, there's, you know, and you guys basically all tell everybody that this is possible if you put the work in, but you have to put the work in. And for the longest time, I wasn't putting the work in. I would say I was when people would ask me and I would lie about it, but I'm tired of being that way. I just don't want to do that anymore. And I'm tired of being the biggest person in the room. I'm tired of being the slowest person in the room. I'm tired of being the laziest. I want to be the hardest worker in the room. And that's all I want. And you and the other three guys, you guys are a huge inspiration to me. So I look forward to that motivation every single morning. So I thank you and I thank them guys for putting that up there. Because without that, I think that really does make me get up and want to do this every single day. Which, which I think is, is a great one. Thank you, obviously, so much for that. And I know the guys hearing that are going to really appreciate it. But I, I think what you hit on is it's not just one thing or another. It's not just get your head right. It's not just work on your mindset and motivation. It's not just work on you know your activity. It's not just work on your food. It's on all of those pieces coming together and having to have those pieces in sync that allows mm -hmm. you to start to move towards your success. And, and I think you're doing a lot, man. Like, I think you're doing a lot to move you towards that place. Like, I, I think, you know, you're facing these challenges. I saw the potato chip post and I, what I, what I loved about it wasn't, wasn't that you posted, I had chips last night and I screwed up. It was, I had chips last night. This is how I approached it. This is what I did. And mm -hmm. I, I think you, like, again, that keyword is mindful. Like, I think that's something that will carry you a long way. It's something I talk with my clients about a lot with people on Instagram, like this idea that we spend so much time, you know, especially as people that were super morbidly obese, we spent so much time living our lives mindlessly, eating mindlessly, you know, approaching yes. our bodies mindlessly, like not letting it be real because how, like, you know, you, you referred to a couple of conditions that I'm familiar with, you know, with leg swelling and venous stasis and those things, like how much of that yeah. did we just accept? Like we just accepted that that was normal. I accepted it was normal that if I bumped my leg into the edge of a table that I was going to end up, you know, ripping my leg open and having a wound that wasn't going to clear up. Like all of those things that happened to us that we, we allowed to happen because we took our brains out of the equation. We took our kind of our focus out of the equation. And by getting into the mindful place, 
I think you start to set yourself up for success. So that's really something I want to I want to switch to. Like Ryan, you share a lot of your journey with us, and I really appreciate that. But I know that, like you said, you're you're a couple months in, and the journey's just getting started. And you've talked about what that's been like for you. But let let's project out. Like what are, what are your goals, Ryan? Like what are the things that you want to see happen for yourself now on this journey? So what I well, I'm on this journey just to, not just really to lose weight. Um, I also like inspiring others. Um, cause listen, let, let's be honest here. You know, if, and not just in life in work and everything else, if someone comes up to you and goes, says, Hey, really good job. Like that motivates people even more to, to be better. Um, and you and the other guys have done that so much for me. And I really do appreciate that because that goes a long way. When people pat you on the back and say, good job, it makes, it can make somebody's day. Um, and that's not something that I've always had. So I, again, I really do appreciate that. But what my, what my goal is, is just to keep writing my, my own story and making it a better one because I want to be here for a long, long time. And if I was going the opposite way, I wouldn't be able to. My goal is to, I, I don't want to set a realistic goal for myself. I, to be real with you, I didn't even like think of like, oh, what goal weight do I want to do? What goal weight do I want to be? I, I never even really thought about it. I just want to be healthy. That's all I want. I want a lot of these things to go away. A lot of the things did go away. Um, the stasis dermatitis, I still suffer from lymphedema, um, but it's not nowhere near as bad as it was. I mean, it was so much worse than it was before. I don't have any of the stasis dermatitis anymore. I don't have sleep apnea anymore. Blood pressure is good. Um, yeah, all that stuff went away. So if you had to ask me like some of my goals, my goals before would have been to get rid of this stuff. Um, my goal, like I said, now is to just be healthy and it's also just to inspire and motivate others because that would be me giving back, you know, and that's something that you can't, you can't, I don't want to say you, you, it's something that you really can't buy. I mean, you, it's something that you guys give and I want to be able to give back. You know, you can't give positive motivation. You can't, you can't buy advice. I mean, you could buy advice, but I mean, at that point, like, you know, what are you doing? You know, you're, you're looking for, you know, you know, in the haystack at that point everybody's different. I just want to be able to give back. That's all I want to do. Which I, I think you're starting to do, man. Like, I, I think that's what you're really making happen. And so what I want to, you know, th that leads me to a natural question, mm -hmm. which is if anyone does want to get some of this inspiration from you, Ryan, and be able to see what you're doing, like where, where is the best? Cause you've got a couple other things going on. I want to talk about, you know, your other handles that are outside of, of weight loss and, and your podcast. I want to talk about that in a second, because there's a, a certain movie we need to talk about that we're going to we're going to get into. Uh, sure, sure. But before that, if if anyone does want to follow your along with your journey and, and be inspired, where do they find you? They could find me on Instagram, which is working underscore uh, on underscore Ryan. Uh, I actually just started a TikTok, which is at the same handle. Um, I'm still new at it. So you know, don't criticize me if my TikToks look half-assed because they definitely do. Um, my Facebook page is just my my regular name. Um, I have had people tell me, "Oh, you should make a a Facebook page for you know for your fitness," and I'm like, "Not really a fitness. It's a it's a journey." I mean, I basically like I'll talk during the day while I'm walking, but I haven't like dived into really like any deep exercise yet. And that was something that my cousin and I were talking about yesterday because I know it's going to come. I mean, walking is only going to get me so far. I'm going to have to move my body in other ways to, you know, to try to lose more. And, I, and I'm all for that uh, within due time because, listen, man, my, my legs and my knees hurt. 
Um, mm. But they they could find me on there. They could find me on Facebook by my regular page that's open, and that's fine too. Um, they could also follow my other pages, which is 80 Cinemas, at 80 Cinemas on Instagram, at 90 Cinemas on Instagram, and then I have my podcast, which is called At Timeline, the official podcast on Instagram. I do have Twitters, um, as they're all the same names, and they're all the same pictures, so same handles. Um, and I also will have my own, uh, another podcast coming out uh, with me and my girlfriend, actually, called Closer to Free. So we already filmed the first episode. We just have to get the cover right, and I have to edit the actual episode. But we And we're going to record the second episode tonight. So I'm looking forward to that as well. So I do have a few things that are going on, and we're Closer to Free about is our journeys and what we're experiencing, what we have experienced, and basically what me and what you and I talked about today was all the things that led up and what we want to do to change that. And it all talks about mindset and again, all the bad habits, all the good habits, what you can do, what you can't do. All that's going to be crammed into closer to free. So I'm looking forward to being for that being released as well. Well that's a lot of exciting stuff in the I'm going to put links in the show notes to all of those things for people to track you down. And there's something very specific I want to talk about now that you know we we've covered your very you know your very in depth and inspirational weight loss journey. But there's another topic that I didn't even know that we really had in common until we had our first kind of screw up recording. And the mm-hmm. next the next day, I jumped on your podcast and saw there was an episode about a very specific movie that's near and dear to me. And that is, and so if anyone at this point, if you want to tune out, don't, because we're going to talk about probably my favorite movie ever made. Um, and that's, that's 1987's The Lost Boys. Yeah, The Lost Boys. An, it's a, a campy vampire film. It's, it's one of those, it's one of those movies that I, fe- I actually wrote a paper in college about that genre of, of vampire film, you know, the, that is the, awesome. the male gang. Like that was something that was all like the gang vampire movie was something that was really big in the eighties. I'm also a fan of the film near dark, but lost boys was the one that for me hit home. And now I feel like we're, I'm, I'm in like a confessional time and we're turning this into an episode of your, your podcast. But I, <laughs> I saw it 14 times in the theater and wow. I, the funny thing was it was R rated. So I wasn't old enough mm-hmm. to get tickets. So my dad took me the first time. And then I realized after that, with most movie theaters then, if you bought a ticket to another movie and you paid Mm -hmm. attention, you could sneak into the movie. So I I just kept sneaking into it. And I I actually remember the the first day of my high school orientation was a half day Mm -hmm. during the summer. You had to go to the school. And then all of my friends were going out to eat after. That was also the very last day that Lost Boys was going to be in the last theater it was playing at in Rhode Island. And I I decided... I was going to skip out hanging out with my friends for the afternoon and jump on 45 minutes of buses to get to the movie theater so I could see it one more time, which <laughs> you know plays along with that insanity. This was also back in the heyday of, of flea markets. My mom bought me a janky VHS, which was, you know, someone recorded with a VHS camera in a movie theater. And I watched mm-hmm. that thing till it died. And then eventually, you know, other VHS and D- Blu-rays and all of that, that stuff started happening. So I then got to hear you on your podcast talking about mm-hmm. this movie that meant so much to me. And I just was like, this, this person is someone I need to talk to. You know, I, I was so excited to talk to you before. And then I was like, okay, there, there's a reason that, that Ryan, <laughs> Ryan fell into, you know, fell into my view for this because I'm, I just loved hearing that episode of your show, man. So I had to let you know that. 
Well, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. And my and my cousin, I'm sure he's going to hear this yeah. episode. Uh, he's going to appreciate that as well because that's his mm. favorite movie right. like ever. Mm-hmm. And me and him just share a love for The Lost Boys. I mean, dude, it's such a great movie. It's been the best vampire movie even till this day. At least that's my opinion, but I'm going to say that's, that's true. And, it, and I'm sure for you too because there hasn't been a better vampire movie than The Lost Boys. There hasn't been. There hasn't been. And if anyone out there hasn't seen it, watch it. I personally feel that you can skip the sequels. Like there, there's, yeah. there's some Easter eggs in there, but they didn't. I, I, it, it's it's the I, it's the comic that I shared recently that you know you and I messaged about, like the the Vertigo comic. I feel that yes. finally kind of gave us you know a spiritual sequel to the original film. Yes, the, you know the second movie kind of sucked. I, I kind of wish they would have delved more into the emerson brothers you know right. with you know sam and michael i, I kind of wish they really would instead of just giving us you know a snippet at the end of what happened to sam but no no mention of his of his brother uh no mention of anything about david or any of the other like the other guys nothing which i was kind of disappointed about but i'm like all right and we got Corey feldman which was cool but eh, all right mm-hmm. the third movie the third movie i thought the way he killed, where the way Corey Feldman killed the head vampire was badass. Mm. I thought that that was awesome. Where because he became the uh, he became like the what he, he got ordained, right? And at the end, he was hanging up on the chains, and he threw the the water on the head vampire, and then started to, you know, pray, and the the vampire went up into flames. I thought that that was genius. Yeah, but mm. that was the only part of the movie that I was just like, that was genius. What happened to the other hour that I just wasted <laughs> of my life? <laughs> you know, like, so, I mean, again, the sequels, we can definitely skip the, the first movie. Amazing. Oh, for sure. And, and thank you. To, thanks to Joel Schumacher for that one. Which, oh, yeah. Rest in peace. For sure. And, and I also loved, and I, I, don't worry, everyone. We're going to, we're going to get to the fat guy five in a minute. Don't, it's coming. It's coming. Like, I know people are <laughs> listening and they're like, why are they, why are they turning this into a vampire podcast? I do have to say also, I think that the theory about stand by me and lost Boys being connected was also genius. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would love to ship that happening. Yeah. Also because Stand By Me is probably my second favorite movie of all time. So I immediately, mm-hmm. when you guys were talking about that, I was like, is that why this is my second favorite movie of all time? Did I subconsciously <laughs> think about this and not even realize it? Like, so I, I just, so I just want to say thanks, you know, for, for keeping that eighties and nineties nostalgia alive through that other work you're doing. Thank you. I, I mean, like I said, I mean, that, that's, that's huge for me. Um, cause I don't get to like a lot of my followers and a lot of the fans from those pages, like they reach out to me and I get messages. I wake up to hundreds of messages daily on those pages and I can't like reply to everybody, mm. but obviously because me and you, we have that type of connection. So, you know, I, I can say thank you cause that really does mean a lot. And it's hard for me and my cousin to get together all the time and record. So, you know, when it does happen, the next movie will be uh revenge of the nerds i don't oh, know if nice. you're a fan of that but oh yeah so we're gonna we're gonna do something like that but the lost boys that's actually till this day uh which we thought labyrinth was going to be the highest but the lost boys peaked again and the lost boys i think the lost boys had ten thousand listens so we <laughs> i'm really grateful for that but the lost boys is something that's always going to be close to our hearts and we just love everything about that movie it was just such such a badass 80s vampire movie Certainly was, and certainly was. And speaking of badass, Ryan, I have a couple more questions for you. It's time for the Fat Guy Five. Are you ready for okay. your last five questions? 
Shoot him, bro. And now that the podcast is back on the air, I've actually I've made a little tweak to one of the questions, and I'll talk okay. about that when we get to it. But question number one, Ryan, living or dead, who is your favorite fat guy? Living or dead, who is my favorite fat guy? Uh, I, I know this is I know this is going to probably seem weird. Um, are you familiar with the show My Six Hundred Pound Life? Of course. Steve and Asante. Mm. Dude, that is weird. I, listen, that is weird. <laughs> And I think the reason the reason for that is because, no offense to him, but it's a train wreck, and you just can't help but watch. Oh. So, <laughs> I'm being honest. I, I at that point, and you know, but a lot of the things that he did go through, I can also relate. Mm. So I will say that with that story, I, I do understand. I wasn't as manipulative, and I wasn't a lot of those other things, but a lot of the other things I could relate to, especially the lymphedema. And the overeating and not caring, absolutely. So I will say that's probably, that's my favorite. And that is probably the most unique answer I've ever gotten to that question. So I appreciate it. Question number <laughs> two, Ryan, what is one lesson being a fat guy has taught you? Oh, there's so many lessons, dude. But um, one lesson uh, being a fat guy has taught me is to never take anyone or anything for granted because it can be it, it, it doesn't matter and this that's just not just for a fat guy but that's for life um but i would never take anything for granted because something could be there one day and the next day it's not um and i know for a fact that when it comes to being a fat guy these habits are gonna they're gonna die hard man it, it's something that it's always gonna be a work in progress um but yeah, that's what I would say. I would say that's just don't take anything for granted. I like it, man. And now question number three used to be what piece of advice could you, would you go back in time and give to your, young, your younger self? And eventually mm -hmm. I've come to realize that this idea of going back in time and giving ourselves advice implies mm -hmm. that we would change who we are today. And I think every person I have on this podcast, I wouldn't want anything to change about them because of the amazing inspiration they provide to people and the great, powerful individuals that they've become. So I've changed question number three. And, okay. and here's what it is now. So question number three, Ryan, tell us. So this, I actually, you're actually are going to be speaking to 574 pound Ryan out there, but it's any listener who out there who is in the condition you were in when you were at your lowest point. Tell mm -hmm. us, Ryan, what is one thing that person could start doing today that you think would help make a major change in their life? Okay. So again, everybody's different. And I, and I say this with, in all seriousness, everybody's different because all of our bodies different. What worked for you might not work for me. What I would say is what you could start doing differently is being mindful of what you're eating. I'm not telling you if you're 574 pounds, I'm not telling you don't eat those Oreos. I'm not telling you don't eat that pizza. Be mindful of how much you're eating. You can start by just changing a little bit. Instead of having four slices, have two. Make a small change. I'm not telling you to get up and start doing 25 to 30 jumping jacks. Make small changes. Any little bit of change helps. What you do today is better than what you did yesterday. It's really up to you. I like it, man. I like it. Question number four, Ryan, what is something about yourself that you love? <sighs> There's a lot of things that I've been loving myself about lately, but the one thing I love about myself is... I'm always look. I'm always looking to better myself, uh, and that's career-wise or health-wise. I'm always looking for 
a, a different but better satisfaction of doing something differently and bettering myself and just getting that high off of it. You know, I don't get off on too much. I get off on, you know, oh, can I can I put this laptop back together faster? You know, I wonder, I wonder if I can do this or if I can do that so I can program this and it'll work this way. I'm always trying to better myself no matter what it be, whether it be reading or learning about something. So I just, my motivation for that to always learn and to be better, I would say that's the one thing that I really do love about myself. Okay, we're going to take one second because there's some police blaring sirens right outside my window. <laughs> it's okay. I'm going to cut this out. Okay. And they're, yeah, they're almost gone. Yeah, we'll let it go now. Okay, Ryan. So question number five is the last one for you today. Tell sure. us, man, what is one goal you have for the next year that is not health, fitness, or weight loss related? The one goal that I, I do want to, I do want to, I'm trying to actually get off the ground is to, I've had a lot of requests to have certain things on like my 80, it actually has to do with my, my social media, um, my 80 cinemas and my 90 cinemas. Um, people always ask me, oh, you know, does, does your Instagram, do you have like, you have shirts, do you have mugs, do you have, do you have to do this? And I'm trying to find a way to incorporate that into my Instagram and also just have something that's different than everybody else. Cause there's a lot of eighties and nineties pop culture, like Instagrams out there that do certain things. I just want to take like the next year or so and just be the best at, at that, you know, in that genre eighties and nineties. I just want to be able to have the best eighties and nineties Instagrams and Twitters and Facebooks possible. I want to be like, if someone searches eighties, like for social media, I want to be the first thing that pops up. I love it, man. That sounds awesome. And I, I look forward to seeing that develop for you because I really have no doubts that you will. And so, Ryan, let me let me say a big thank you for coming on the show today. I really appreciate, one, your patience with the amount of time it's taken for us to actually get to record, and two, your willingness to so openly share this journey that you're on. So really, man, just just a heartfelt thank you from me. Oh, uh, you're very welcome. Dude, I am... This was like, I, I was so excited to do this. I was nervous too. Um, but I, I, my, I hope my story, if anybody can relate to it, I hope it helps them because it sucks to be overweight. It really does. And I know a lot of people are like, oh, well, it just sucks. But you can do something about it. You know what I mean? And that's what you have done. That's what the other guys have done. And that's what I'm doing. But it all starts with you. Well, there you go, man. Again, thank you. And Everyone out there listening, I hope that you're really inspired by Ryan's journey. Like I said, all of his links are going to be in the show notes. And if you want to connect with me, your host, you can find me on Instagram at Gourmet underscore goes underscore keto. You can find me on Twitter at Gourmet Goes Keto. You can email the show at thefatguyforum at gmail.com. And of course, as always, if you are interested in one-on-one -on -one coaching or group coaching, you can check out theketoroad.com to work with me and all of the exciting things that we have going on there. So once again, just thank you so much, my friends. Remember, go out there today, do something to amaze yourself because you are the most amazing people I know. And then come on back and join us again next time here on the Fat Guy Forum. 